On February 26, 2023, a boat carrying around 200 migrants sank off the coast of Calabria in southern Italy while trying to land on the coast of the seaside resort Staccato di Cutro. The shipwreck resulted in the deaths of at least 94 people on board, mostly from Afghanistan, and has raised questions over how EU border agency Frontex and the Italian Coast Guard responded to this incident. I am Evi Chiori. Hello and welcome to your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. The ongoing investigation on this story paints a different reality from the one presented by the official authorities, and our reporter Eleonora Vasquez brings exclusive information about the real conditions of the shipwreck and the decision-making of the authorities. Eleonora, you cover migration for Euractiv's politics hub, among other things. Tell us what happened and what exactly is that we're talking about today. So a Frontex plane intercepted a migrant boat that uh, supposedly was uh, assessed as a possible migrant boat because uh, thermal camera signs showed at the time that uh, there was a strong thermal response. So there were probably a high number of people uh, inside the boat. But after that communication was passed to Italian authorities, the Italian authorities decided to start a law enforcement operation because uh, since the boat was uh, sailing normally, even though there was a, a four-state sea, which uh, is usually of waves between uh, 1.25 and 2.50, it was not considered a stress case. And just to make this clearer, because you're talking about these numbers, 1.25 and waves, but what do these numbers really mean? So the sea is classified uh, from uh, state one until uh, basically state seven. It's divided uh, uh, as such uh, based on the matters of uh, the sea level. So for uh, state is between 1.25 meters and 2.50 meters. Uh, considering that as a post-assessment, many experts, journalists, NGOs uh, look at the case as, a, a, of course, a distress case because it was uh, an overcrowded boat and there was evidence to see that uh, was possibly an overcrowded boat with uh, a four-state, so the waves were quite high, quite high, uh, but it was sailing normally. And based on that, the authorities decided to not start a search and rescue operation. Okay, so could we say then that everybody was alerted except the authorities? No, no, no. The authorities were alerted. So ah. basically, just to explain, I'm sorry, it's very operational and it's very detailed. And believe me, we really appreciate the explanation. When there is a case and it's intercepted, Frontex alerts the authorities that can be competent. So in that case, the Greeks and the Italians were alerted because the case was near that coast. So after that, the authority that decided to coordinate any kind of operation decide to classify uh, the kind of the case. So in that case, Italians decide to start a police operation, but the boat has to return to the port due to the sea condition. Mm -hmm. The day after, uh, there has been a shipwreck because, of course, there was a rock uh, that was hit and was not visible, and uh, almost 100 people died, including several children. That was, uh, of course, a very controversial case because uh, the boat was intercepted hours and hours ago. And from some point of view, there were already the characteristic to start a search and rescue operation, which didn't start it. And Eleonora, you're here to explain to us why wasn't this the case and what stopped the operation. And you have an exclusive on this uh, from the authorities. So what is the new information on this? 
in the document was basically revealed, which is the incident report uh, of Frontex on the shipwreck, because, uh, for example, about the context, uh, Frontex uh, does uh, an incident report in these kind of cases when they are involved uh, in a case that finished in tragedy, as, for example, also the Pilov's uh, shipwreck in June uh, 2023. So, and in the report was specified that uh, in the uh, headquarters of uh, Frontex in Warsaw, there were two representatives uh, of the Italian authorities, uh, the Financial Guard, so the Guardia di Finanza and the Coast Guard, that uh, when there was the sighting of the boat, so we said that the case was uh, intercepted by the plane, the communication went to Warsaw head uh, headquarters in Frontex, and the Italian authorities communicated to the team leader of the monitoring room that was monitoring the case, that the case was not of interest. So based on that, Frontex then communicated via email a report of the sighting to the uh, Italian authorities, but at the same time, the report specified that the authorities uh, in the Frontex headquarters, which said that to the team leader, were in constant contact with the Italian authorities over the phone. Sorry, but I have to ask, how did you obtain this information? Well, this is a very spicy question. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, uh, when I started to follow this case, when there was the shipwreck uh, last year in February. And since then, I started to investigate the case to see uh, all the operational details and to study the context of the operation. So uh, my first skill, I would say, is to study in detail as a nerd, uh, <laughs> each detail uh, of how to do and which are the protocols for this kind of cases. And second of all, I started to publish, uh, uh, you know, developments of the story at the time. And then uh, I start to reach sources and to understand how and in which context I can ask for documents. And at, at the end, I obtained it. Mm -hmm. So what was the case then? Who took the decision? From my understanding, when Meloni said that they didn't reach, they didn't had any emergency communication from Frontex, because she said that after the shipwreck, alle nostre autorità nessuna, eh, diciamo così, comunicazione di emergenza da Frontex. My understanding is that uh, it was decided on the spot by the Italians to not start the operation of search and rescue because the case was not of interest and Frontex was only providing assistance. We do not coordinate rescue operations. That is the task of internationally recognized maritime rescue coordination centers. Let us focus in particular on the tragedy of Proton. In the late hours on Saturday, one of our planes spotted a boat heading toward the Italian coast. Using our thermal cameras, we detected signs that there might be people below deck, despite there being no obvious signs of distress. Hans Leighton's Frontex director said during the Libe committee hearing earlier this summer, explaining how Frontex operated in this case. Frontex is only an agency and it's not uh, sovereign uh, and Frontex cannot make decision on which kind of operation to start. Right, so the decision was made that this case was not something of interest. But under what circumstances or requirements did the authorities decide that this was less important, let's say? My understanding at the time, uh, before looking at that document, was that uh, since the boat was sailing normally, there was not a risk of sinking 
when the boat was intercepted that could go without problem. The real problem is that, uh, uh, just a personal parenthesis, I've been on the Ocean Viking NGO boat and I saw when these uh, cases uh, are intercepted or I've seen the condition of, this pl- of these boats. Right. And in what cases did you see these boats being intercepted? When are they considered of importance? Any migrant's boat should be um, classified as a search and rescue operation because uh, uh, also in the report of Frontex it's written that these cases can escalate in a few seconds in hundreds of deaths mm-hmm. because these boats, they don't have a prepared crew. They don't even have a crew. Absolutely not. They usually have a person that they, the traffickers give the, uh, the, the command of the boat, but m- most of the time there are people that they don't even know about how it, what's the color of the sea, mm-hmm. because it's the first time they see, they see uh, the sea, mm-hmm. for example, when, for example, they depart from Libya or, or, or also Tunisia. And this is a very important point you're making whatever can happen and finish in tragedy and many people die because most of these people for example they are not able to swim in the mediterranean we have a culture of swimming that every kids more or less is able to swim it's not the case of many african countries where or for example i've been also in asia recently there are a lot of people that are not able to swim even though they have the sea nearby because there is not a culture of swimming And if they manage to cross the Mediterranean, they reach Italy, who has now a stricter migration policy, especially now that Giorgia Meloni is leading the government. So what we listened to here was Giorgia Meloni during a press conference after the shipwreck, vowing to fight smugglers on land and sea. So what's the current situation with Italy's policy on migration? From my point of view, migration policy, in particular, the, I would say the search and rescue uh, habits uh, in Giorgia Meloni's government are uh, in continuity with what happened uh, in the past with the previous government. Now, let me add to this mix EU's migration policy. In December, we had the Migration and Asylum Pact that has raised eyebrows and many questions about human rights violations, not only from NGOs and activists, but also from academia. How do you see this developing, especially now that we're ahead of the EU elections uh, in June, where we expect more right-wing MEPs getting seats in the European Parliament? The pact is composed of five regulations and it will give overall um, management of migration and when it comes to migration it means borders at EU level. And uh, this reform now it's uh, uh, working on the um, European Union is working on the technical steps, which will be also political, and it should be approved. Uh, the last steps should be approved before the end of the mandate. Having said that, the reform reflects a European Union which is very conservative toward migrants, and the migration plan reflects exactly the needs to keep migrants away. So there are a lot of border procedures uh, that basically um, step up on returns and trying to um, deny the access of uh, borders, of European borders to many people arriving in uh, European soil with an irregular status. And I think EU strategy has also been focused on its external migration control project. Ursula von der Leyen promised 100 million euros to Tunisia. The fourth pillar is migration. We both have a vast interest in breaking the cynical business model of smugglers and traffickers. It is horrible to see 
how they deliberately risk human lives for profit. So we will work together on an anti-smuggling operational partnership. And we will support Tunisia with border management. This year, the European Union will provide 100 million euros to Tunisia for border management, but also for search and rescue and anti-smuggling and return. And earlier this month, you reported that the EU is planning to grant 87 million to Egypt. So what else can we see on that front? The agreement with North Africa countries, for example, in search and rescue activities uh, has as a pillar the Libya pattern. So to create a fake, basically, coast guard that intercept migrants and bring back to Libya, where they face tortures and abuses daily. This is a pattern that is occurring also in Tunisia and in Egypt. And Eleonora, what takeaways would you like us to take from this topic? Try to find uh, a few reporters that you trust or NGOs uh, or any other way to feel comfortable and to understand how these procedures are ongoing because it's very complicated and it's not uh, simple and uh, immediate as most of the you know, politician and political sc- landscape uh, uh, wants to depict. Thank you very much, Eleonora, for joining us on the podcast and for sharing with us your exclusive story. I am Evikiori and this was your Active's Beyond the Byline podcast. Visit your Active to stay on top of the latest news, sign up to our podcast newsletter. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. This episode was produced by myself, Miriam Sainz de Tejada and Nicoleta Yonta. Thank you for tuning in and until next time. As part of our commitment to accuracy, inclusion and transparency, Euractiv is part of the Trust Project.